Um, I grew up in Kentucky never really knowing about hurricanes. I'd heard of hurricanes and been around no hurricanes and saw a few storms, but uh, in Kentucky we didn't get very many hurricanes. Hurricanes are, are beautiful things, aren't they? From the inside out, they're not so beautiful. But looking you know, from outer space at hurricanes, they're, they're really beautiful. Meteorologists love them, and, and we all think that they're fascinating. But the truth is, hurricanes are life-altering storms. Life-altering storms. And our series that we're going to go through for the next five weeks deals with several different facets of storms, uh, from our reactions and our injuries to recovery and restoration in hurricanes, as you know, trees get uprooted, uh, boats and boat docks get wrecked, buildings are knocked down, uh, cities are flooded, schedules are disrupted, jobs are lost, schools are devastated, families are, are damaged and devastated. Hurricanes are major, major events. Many of us, how many, how many of you would tell me today that you experienced something that was of, a, of, a, of a, a great nature when Hurricane Irma came through. Came through. Uh, either your property was uh, damaged, your trees were blown down, something happened. You? Were you? Okay, most, most everybody. Um, but we also know that not only do we experience the physical hurricanes and the weather hurricanes, but we know what it's like to face life-altering storms of a different nature from time to time. The skies will darken in our lives from time to time. The clouds will come from time to time. We will be shaken, and sometimes we'll get hurt, and our family will be, have to go through some adjustment. 2017 was one of those years for me. Uh, you know, I came through, I, after 2016, I said, you know what? Her, 2017 is going to be my year of victory and jubilee. Anybody say that? Do you remember saying that? I tell you what, it was my hurricane year. As much faith as I wanted to have to say, I believe this is going to be my greatest year ever. This is going to be it. I'm going to, I'm going to prosper in everything. that It just about killed me, 2017. But, it, it, you know, uh, some years are like that. You know, in, in, my, in my case, I, I, I lost my brother-in-law, had to put my mom in an assisted living facility. I had to pack and take her there. Uh, I go through physical things myself, emotional things myself, and it, and it was one of those, those crazy years. And then on top of that, my orange tree got vandalized. <laughs> now, if it was you, I'm looking for you. I, had, I was having a bumper crop of oranges this year. Uh, the first year I got oranges, I had six. The second year of oranges, I had five or six. I don't remember. But this year, I had 17. 17 big, beautiful navel oranges. Somebody came by my house in the middle of the night and tore off every one of my oranges. I haven't seen them since. I'm just praying, well, maybe God, somebody needed those oranges more than I did. But it's one of those years. And then... Hello, hurricane. So it, it's kind of a uh, earth-shaking kind of year for us. Uh, some years it just seems like God shakes our cage. Do you remember when God shook your cage? He, he shook you up. 
Well, sometimes he does that and he sends hurricanes. And I'm glad they don't come every year. If they came every year, we would really be in trouble. Think about it. If we had a Hurricane Irma every year, it would be really, really rough. Sometimes your hurricanes, like I say, are emotional. Sometimes the hurricane that you're having to face is financial. Sometimes the hurricane you, you face is, um, is just, is just a, a, a weather phenomenon. But some hurricanes wreak more havoc on our lives than, than others. And during this uh, five-week series, I hope that you will, you will learn a little bit more about hurricanes and storms and how to weather those storms. And, and God will strengthen you through this time. But we're getting into today, and, and I want to, us to understand that there is at least one thing that hurricanes are good for. It wakes us up. We, we get awakened when hurricanes come through. There's so much energy, there's so much wind, uh, there's, there's so much commotion that our world changes, right? Everything changes and it, and it wakes us up. Uh, we're shaken out of our normal routine. The, the idea of the calm before the storm, that, that's, that's a true thing. and It, it can be devastating, though, if we're, if we're not aware of, of that calm. Um, I like to think that I'm not in too much danger of becoming lethargic spiritually or falling asleep. But the truth is, when we fall asleep, a lot of times we're not even aware that we're falling asleep. I mean, really, last night when you went to bed and you fell asleep, how many of you could tell me exactly when it was that you fell asleep? Because you, you really can't. It's, it's a drifting that happens that's so gradual uh, that we're really not able to sense that change. And, and today, what I'm dealing with, uh, the main point, the main focus that I have for us today is I want us to look at where we stand spiritually. Do we need a hurricane? Do we need a wake-up call? Are we drifting? Are we getting in danger? Or are we fully wide awake? All of us probably feel pretty sure that if we were faced with some great temptation, like robbing a bank, that, uh, by the way, is that a temptation for anybody in here? It's not, is it? Okay. But one, two. But we would say robbing a bank, no, we're not going to rob a bank. That's not a good thing. We're, and we move away from that thought. We're not going to rob a bank, right? Um, or stealing somebody's car. If Somebody's tempted to do that, and I hope nobody here is tempted. It's such a big thing, and it hits us right in the face. And we know, well, we're not going to steal somebody's car. We're not going to steal somebody's horse, and we're not going to steal somebody's stuff, oranges. There you go. But those big kind of temptations don't just kind of fly along. They're always preceded by little temptations, okay? So I want us to understand that most of these big problems overwhelm us when they come to us disguised as little problems. When life is easy, the bills are paid, relationships are good, food is plentiful, it's easy to find ourselves getting into a rut, Okay? And you know what a rut is, right? A rut is a, a coffin with the ends knocked out. That's what I've always heard. But we get ourselves in a, in a rut. We find ourselves falling asleep without realizing 
our gear has slipped from drive into neutral, we're still moving forward, the engine's still running, but we're in neutral. And we don't even realize that we are in neutral. We take things for granted. And we allow some very important things in our lives to fall to the wayside. Thinking back about the, the days before Irma came through, do you remember those days? Beautiful blue skies, 80-degree weather, low humidity. We had some of the most beautiful weather just before the storm came through. You see, those are the great times to get in under a shade tree with a, a cool drink and stretch out on a hammock and sleep. It's, it's just the right time to let things just kind of go, not be too concerned about too much. But sleepiness, lethargy, is really can be a very, very dangerous thing. I've had to do some crazy things in my, in my life uh, to stay awake while driving. Uh, anybody have trouble with that? Anybody fall asleep when you drive, especially at nighttime? Well, what I typically will do when I'm by myself, it's dark, it's quiet. First thing I do is turn on the radio. And then the next thing I do is turn on really loud. And then the next thing I do there is usually I will roll down a window or get one of my windows down, turn on the air conditioner, really cold. Anybody identifying with this? And then if, it's, if that doesn't do it, then I start grooving to the music. You know, and then if that doesn't do it, I'll I'll stop and get a cup of coffee or a coke or something with caffeine. If that doesn't do it, I'll stop the car and exercise on the side of the road. I'll do anything to try to stay awake on the highway. And then there are times when I've been asleep and I can't wake up. Anybody there this morning? Yeah. All right. We've got two honest people. Three, four. How many of you really get sleepy and tired when the preacher's preaching? Some of the, I'm telling you what, some of the best sleeping times you have is on Sunday morning when the preacher's <laughs> droning away, droning away. We're going to try to keep you awake here. I had a really hearty amen on that, and I'm, watch yourself. But sometimes you just can't wake up. But here's the thing. You never experience that when a hurricane's coming. Isn't that interesting? Have you noticed when a hurricane is coming, there's a buzz going on? You walk into Walmart and people are going, give me that, give me that. That's my water. That's my water. Give me that. You know, and they're ready to fight you for a few baked beans or something, you know? Something can overcome us with, when the skies are blue. And breeze is perfect. But it's nothing that we notice quickly when our eyelids get heavy and we start drifting. We might let up on our time in God's Word. Eh, things are fine. I'm good. We might let up in our, in our time of prayer, our communication with God. Maybe as we're drifting in this quiet before a storm, things are going really well. Maybe we, we're not even as, as easily moved by the Holy Spirit when we're in worship together. That's happened, that's happened to me before. And all of these things I'm mentioning to you are things that I struggle with. 
When I feel like I'm, I'm drifting, I can catch myself not being in the Word as much as I should, not communicating with God, having time of prayer as I should. And then a lot of times I'll catch myself in worship when I, I'm looking around and everybody's just, just engulfed in the spirit of worship and the spirit of God. And it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't get it, but that's fine. And we catch ourselves drifting like that. Uh, we become less sensitive to the Spirit. We can take it or leave it when it comes to spiritual matters. And I would call this a fog of complacency. A fog of complacency. This fog of complacency is what I want us to think about this morning. Jesus addressed it when he spoke to the seven churches in Revelation. And if you would, go ahead and open your Bible or your Bible app or your device to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be reading there in just a second. In, in this part of the scripture, in this part of the Bible, uh, God gives messages to a number of churches, churches that no longer exist, in fact. He gave warnings and he commended some of them for doing a good job. And although you, it may, you may have trouble understanding the book of Revelation, um, in this particular part, it's talking about Jesus walking among, among the churches. And he's given a message to these seven different churches. And they can apply not just only to those seven churches, but to our churches today as well. To one church, he said, you've left your first love. I want you to turn back to me and fall in love with me all over again. To another church, he said, you're going to suffer, but I'm going to be with you. And in the end, I'll give you the crown of life. To yet another, he said, you're neither hot nor cold, and if you don't change, I'm going to spit you out. You remember that church, the church of Laodicea? Well, the one I want to focus on this, this morning is a church at Sardis, S-A-R-D-I-S. Uh, they seem to have had a problem with complacency. So let, let me read to you, and you follow along. Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. I want to, as we get into this, I, I want to pause here and just pray for a second uh, as we get into the meat of the message. Would you pray for me this morning? Um, I need your prayers today. Father, I, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to worship you. In song, we thank you, God, for allowing us to be excited to serve you and to love you. I thank you, God, for this time of, of, uh, of sharing. But, Lord, as we get into your word for just a few minutes, I pray, God, that you would speak to us individually. I ask you, God, that you would help us to hear your voice, help us to hear what you have to say to us, and, that, and, and allow our lives to be changed. I pray today, God, that you would help me to, to be a vessel, an instrument that's useful to you. I pray, God, that you would uh, touch my mind, touch my heart, my emotions, 
all that I am. And I pray, God, that you would use me for your glory today and to strengthen this, this church. I pray for us as a church today that we would hear your voice. And we thank you for what you're doing in us. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Sardis was uh, an ancient city in Asia Minor, and um, it had a history of success. It, it was situated on top of a large uh, cliff, some 12, 1,500 feet high, and it was thought to be an impregnable location, and, and it was a prosperous city. But something happened to those people along the way, and they fell asleep, and things changed uh, today, Sardis is nothing more than a pile of rubble somewhere in the Middle East, in Turkey, I think. But So this letter, this, this little letter that we just read from Christ to the church at Sardis is a, is a very sad, sad message to a very sad and a very disappointing and a heartbreaking church. And why would I put it that way? Because Jesus said that this church was spiritually dead or dying. I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, of all places, of all places that it shouldn't be dead and dying, it's church, right? I mean, I mean think about it. We, we can accept a dead funeral home. We can accept a, a dead city council. We can accept a, 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 a dead PTA or PTO, right? But when it comes to the church, a life giving life springing well of encouragement if if somebody says the church is dead that is serious serious business right there church is supposed to be a place where god lives where jesus lives where the holy spirit thrives a place where christians are alive a place uh, of lively ideas of lively commitments of lively pursuits of lively visions church should be life filled not life less. Amen? Amen. So life was pretty good for the Sardis church. The skies were clear. The, the winds were calm. The world had left them alone. Of all these places in, in that part of the world, and you would think they're going to be persecuted. Eh, persecution settled down. Jews and Christians got along with each other. Everybody was kind of just, you be who you are, I'll be who I am, and we'll all get along just fine. That's who they were. They had little opposition from the world, and they had become comfortable. I want to ask you today, have you become comfortable in your faith? Are you comfortable in your spiritual walk? Are you comfortable? Nothing really pushing you, nothing really bothering you, nobody, nobody antagonizing you, nobody persecuting you. You can take it or leave it. You can come or go. How's your spiritual life today? So life was pretty good for them. Uh, Herodotus, an ancient historian, wrote that over the course of many years, the people of Sardis had acquired a reputation for being morally loose. The Christians were blending in with their world. Their identity became muddled. And instead of affecting their world, their world affected their church. Boy, doesn't that sound like us today? I mean, I mean isn't that a picture of, of partially of who we are? Instead of us affecting the people out there, we're, we're looking more like the people out there. We're sounding more like the people out there. We're acting more like the people out there. We're, we're, we're looking at our issues and, the, and, 
and everything in the world more like our culture than we are the church? I think somewhere along the line, we have to kind of draw a line and say, where, where does this, where do we, where do we set down our stake? You know, think about that just a little bit. Whatever their morals and whatever we read about them in, in Revelation 3, we find that their way of living was unsatisfactory to the Lord. I think that's important to know, unsatisfactory to the Lord. Their condition, they, they were Christians, at least there were some Christians in their church. They had some people who, who obviously were not Christian people, but they, they were generally Christians, followers of Christ, but they must not have been living like it because Jesus said, I know, you, I know what you're doing. I know your works. I know how you're living, and, and I know your reputation for being some vital, good group of people who are influencing our world for good. He says, but I want you to know you're not that. You're dying. You're on your way to a spiritual death. What could be worse for an organization like that? I don't know. How does that happen, though? How, how is it possible to drift away and not realize you're drifting? There are probably a hundred different answers to that. Did you hear those chimes? It, it, I, it, was, it sounded heavenly to me. Well, how does it happen? You could have gotten discouraged. Somebody could have said something. You've been too busy. You've had a lack of discipline. Maybe there's sin in the church and nobody's really addressed it. There, there could be a lot of, of things, unforgiveness maybe, in their church. But whatever it was in the people of Sardis and what was ever going on in that church, it's likely that their prayer life wasn't being sustained. <laughs> Isn't that just like a pastor to say that to you? If you're discouraged, if you're not being encouraged, if you're struggling with life, you're not sure of everything going on, the pastor has to talk about prayer. But I'm telling you, there's something about communicating with God that keeps you close to Him. And if you're finding yourself alone, aloof, uncaring, unfeeling, insensitive, you probably ought to start thinking about spending a little bit more time in the prayer closet. Real simple preaching, right? Anybody say, what is that, that movie? War Room. Does anybody have a war room? If you don't have a war room, you need to make one. You don't have to clear it out just for that. Just get in there with your shoes. You know, get in the closet with the shoes and close the door and and get out on your face before God and, and share your heart with God. We lose out with God spiritually because we don't talk to Him enough. And we don't listen to Him enough. It's likely that their faith had decreased. Their activities and their friendships no longer included Jesus Christ. And I want to say that to us today. Do your activities, do your conversations ever include Jesus Christ anymore? Okay, we're going bowling. Don't you think Jesus ought to go with you? I bet he would bowl a 300 game. And I, and, I, and I say that lightly, but I mean it seriously. Whatever you do, we should do to the glory of God. 
whether it's washing a car, raising money, going golfing, going bowling, uh, having people over to our house, somewhere along the line, the name of Jesus needs to be raised up in your midst. Okay? And somehow they stopped studying the word. They stopped talking about Christ. Serving others took a back seat to their personal pursuits. I, I don't know. Is that anything like us today? Our own personal pursuits take greater, greater place than serving other people. So we see these symptoms of lethargy, right? We see these symptoms of complacency. But the problem is that the flow of the Spirit of God is being stunted somehow. Just like if you were to get a, a, a clot or something in your, in your brain, it would stop the blood from flowing there and you would suffer from that. You could even die from that. Well, what happens spiritually is if the Spirit is not flowing through our veins, so to speak, we then lose interest, we then lose power, we then lose our strength, we then lose our ability to influence others because the Spirit of God is not flowing through us. If the Spirit of God does not flow through us, we will die spiritually. We have to have, just want to pause here, we have to have the Holy Spirit flowing through our worship or our worship will amount to nothing. We have to have the Holy Spirit flowing through our small groups or our small groups will amount to nothing. We have to have the Holy Spirit flowing through the, the Word as it, as, it, as it is being taught or Sunday, on Sundays but, or we, we don't have anything. You see, without the Holy Spirit of God working in us, we're dead and we're cold and we need the Spirit of God working in us. Amen to that? We need that. We need to pursue that. We need Him in our relationships. We need the Spirit in our workplace. We need the Spirit in our habits. We need the Spirit when we're, when we're struggling. We need the Spirit when we're on top of the mountain. See, we cannot get along without the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we walk in the Spirit, see, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh at that point. So my question to us today, and and I and I wanted to and I, and I do this in a gentle, kind sort of way is I want to ask: is, is the life of God flowing through us? If if I could look at each one of you and we could just have a talk, and I say, is the Holy Spirit flowing through your life? Is it giving life to you and to others? Are people sensing and finding hope? Because of the Holy Spirit that is flowing through your life. Are we connecting people with Jesus? You know, uh, Pastor Blake last week preached about uh, the four friends who, who lowered the paralytic down in front of Jesus. Are we willing to connect people to Jesus? Are we influencing others for good? Is anyone's life better because of our relationship with them? Because of Jesus. I, I've, I've read this somewhere. I've seen it in movies, I guess. You know, when people are in, in freezing weather, when, when it's too cold and they freeze to death, my understanding is they basically just get sleepy uh, and they fall asleep and they die. They don't realize what's going on. They don't understand. I mean, they, they probably do realize they're dying, but... They don't know when that actually takes place because it's such a, a, a slow-moving, 
mind-fogging type of thing. But what did Jesus say to that sleeping church? He recognized what was going on. They were falling asleep, and he said, wake up, strengthen what little remains, strengthen the ranks, go back to your first love, and repent, make a change. And today, as, as we're sitting here, and we're thinking about it, and, and as the Holy Spirit convicts us, not, not Pastor Jim convicting anybody, because I, I, it's not up to me, but if the Holy Spirit convicts you because you're not where you need to be spiritually then you need to be listening to that. You need to be listening to that. You know, the, you know the man Samson, right? Samson? Everybody know Samson? You know, he's, he's so strong and, and big and he did crazy stuff, you know. You know, one of the crazy things he did, he, he caught a whole bunch of foxes and he put a torch and he tied the torch between their tails and he did this with a whole bunch of them and he put them out through the Philistines' crops and he burned up all their crops. He did that. Did you know he killed a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey? Do you know another time he somebody was wait, uh, wait, uh, laying in wait for him, and he went and he grabbed the iron city gates, put them up on top of his shoulders, and carried them to the top of a hill, and he and 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 it, uh, the people didn't get to attack him because of that. He was a crazy dude, but he was he was. He was a mighty powerful guy. When he was born, they dedicated him to God, and he, and, and he lived under this Nazarite vow. And you can read about it in Judges chapter 13 and 16. But he lived under this vow where uh, no alcohol would touch his lips, no grapes, no raisins, nothing from the grapevine would touch his lips. He was dedicated to God. He wouldn't cut his hair. And there was a few other, a few other things, but he, his life was set up and anointed by God for very special reasons. He was one of the judges, one of the leaders, one of the conquerors, one of the champions of Israel in, in those days. But he started losing his focus. And he started doing things that didn't help the cause. And finally, he, he met up with this woman named Delilah. You know that program? Anybody watch, listen to Delilah? She's on the radio. And, and, she's, and, and, and Delilah tries to get Samson to tell her where the source of his strength comes from because he was really, really strong. He was a strong dude. He was stronger than Doug Lane. He was, Doug. I'm stronger than Doug Lane. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, so she's trying to get him to tell her where his source, what his source of strength was. Of course, God was his source of strength because it was supernatural. He said, well, if you'll take some new bowstrings and tie me up with bowstrings, he said, I'd be just weak like everybody else. So she got him asleep or got him drunk or whatever. And Oh, no, he can't drink. I forgot that. <laughs> Tied him up. And um, she said, oh, your enemies are upon you. And he, and he just broke them, broke them and everything. And they ran off. Then he told her, he said, well, if you'll get new ropes, ropes that have never been used before, tie me up, then I'll become weak like everybody else. So he was asleep. This is some woman. She tied him up and says, hey, your enemies are upon you. And when his, he woke up, he broke the ropes. And, I, you know, by this time, I would be wondering about my, my wife, wouldn't you? 
I mean, I would be wondering about this woman. She's wanting to know my secrets, then she tests them on me, and then these strange people are in my house. They're going to kill me. So the third time, uh, he says something like, okay, well, if you'll take my hair and you'll weave it in the loom, he said, then I'll be as weak as everybody else. I think that was it. And so they did that, and, and then she said, oh, your enemies are upon you. And, and he gets up, he moves the loom, and, and there he is again. He, he lied to her three times in a row, and now she's finally getting tired of it. She said, look, you're making fun of me. Seriously, tell me where the strength and he And because, I, I think it's because she nagged him. Uh, he finally said, okay. I mean, that, I, wouldn't you feel that way? I, in fact, I think the Bible even says something like that. But so finally he says, well, if you'll cut my hair, I'll be weak like anybody else. So while he was asleep, they cut his hair off. And when she says, oh, Samson, wake up. Your enemies are upon you. And he woke up and he stood up and he's ready to fight. And listen to what the Bible says. In Judges 16, 20, Samson said, I will go out as before at other times, and I will shake myself free. And then he said, the Bible said, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, that is a very scary thought for me. This man who's used to flexing his muscles and and doing what he needed to, conquering the enemy, this man who was anointed from birth and honored God as a godly man, Everybody knew him to be God's anointed. He did not even know when the Spirit of God had departed from him. He did not know that he had drifted away and that his power was gone. You see, we can be in the same boat. But I'm telling you today, hurricane flags are flying. We need to wake up and understand this world is in a mess. We need to wake up and understand that we need to be light in a dark world. We need to wake up and understand that God wants to use you and he wants to use me to touch people's lives. We need to shake ourselves and say we're not going to be complacent any longer. We're going to do more of what God wants us to do. You may be in that calm before the storm part of your life where life is easy and everything's fine. You may be going through a hurricane right now. And maybe you, those of you who are going through the calm, you can't imagine another disaster coming your way. But I want you to know if you're living and breathing, another disaster will come your way. Something is going to come. We need to be ready for it. So I want to ask you finally... Are you sleeping, spiritually speaking? Are you struggling with your time in the Word? You lost interest. Have you struggled with your prayer time? You've lost interest. Is your spiritual strength waning? And is Jesus speaking to you today? I said that 2017 was uh, a time I'd just as soon forget. But you know what? Truthfully, someday I believe I will look back on 2017 as being one of the greatest years I've ever lived. See, God has a way of taking things that we think are absolutely horrible and turning them around into good things. Have you ever had that happen? 
God specializes in things that we think are impossible. God specializes in taking the ugly and making it beautiful, taking the uh, unstable and making stable. God specializes in changing lives for the good. When I think about my year, I think about walking my mother to her car from her condominium, and she's boo-hooing, and I put her in the front seat, and I just have to get down and look at her and say, Mom, I love you. And she's just squalling. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. To comfort my sister when Ken passed away, she, still, she cries still every day. I, I, just, I just can't, I, I can't get past all that. But I know this. When we are in Christ, when we are dedicated to him, when we are pursuing holiness, when we are pursuing righteousness, when we are pursuing our relationship with him, he will take all of the bad things that we're experiencing and he'll turn them around and make them good. I believe that as much as I'm sitting here on this chair today. I believe that God works things out for our good. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen.